second John. That's right near the end of the Bible. Hebrews, then James, first and second, third John. We're going to look at second John. I think that most of you know that uh, we did a series on first John. First John is five chapters long, and uh, it took us 31 messages to uh, get through five chapters Good news, Second uh, John is only one chapter, so it won't take quite as long. But uh, we're going to look at Second John, take a number of weeks to learn from this little book. Again, Second John, and it's only one chapter long, but I'd like us to begin with reading verse number one. Second John, verse number one. I suppose if somebody asked you, what's the book of John all about? You probably could say, well, it tells us about the public life of Jesus Christ. I think if somebody asked you, what's the book of Acts about? You'd probably say it was the early work of the apostles as churches were established in the first century, and you'd be right. I wonder if someone said to you, what's the little book of Second John all about? There is a theme to this book. And so we're going to begin this evening with just having a look at the very first and second verse. But let's read together verse number one, Second John, only one chapter, verse one. Let's read that together, reading it out loud. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for this evening. Thank you for a glimpse of the kind of work that the Reimer family is doing in Liberia. And Lord, it's pretty obvious they were excited about this new opportunity in Dennistown to help them give them wisdom about each step. Now, Lord, as we begin this little book of 2 John, I pray to help us to understand what it's about, help us to make application to our lives, and we'll thank you for it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Again, I know that we uh, have less time tonight to preach than normal. I will try to do my best. Pastor, who wrote the epistle of Second John? Well, you know, it doesn't give the writer's name in the body of the letter. So we don't find it from reading these 13 verses, but I think a giveaway is the title of the book itself. I trust on the top of your page, it says, The Second Epistle General of John. Now we're going to do a little bit of deductive reasoning. Whoever wrote it, his name is John. But it's the second epistle that John wrote. That means whoever this John was, he's already written a first epistle. That rules out a lot of other Johns in the Word of God. John the Baptist, we're familiar with his name. And uh, yet he never wrote a book. So whoever this John is, he's already written another epistle, and this is the second one that he wrote. We know that it was the Apostle John that wrote the Gospel of John. We know that it was the Apostle John who wrote the first epistle, 1 John. So it is the apostle that wrote this little letter, and uh, we know that, but we know that now he's much older. Some of you would have a date on the top of your page. Anyone have the date on the top of 2 John? 90 AD. Keep that in mind. Hold your hand there. Turn over to the uh, Gospel of John. 
chapter in the Gospel of John. I know that not all Bibles have dates on the top. They're helpful if you get a study Bible with dates. But uh, we know that the second epistle of John was written in 90 A.D. The Gospel of John tells us about the public ministry of Jesus. Anyone give me a date for any page of the Gospel of John? Okay, some will say 30 A.D., some 31, 32, 33. So we're going to round it to 30, so we don't stretch our math tonight. When John was a young disciple under Jesus Christ, it was about 30 A.D. When John is writing 2 John, it's 90 A.D. 2 John was written 60 years after John was a disciple working alongside Jesus Christ. So one, we know it was written by the Apostle John. Two, we know that John is much older now when he is writing this, and that would make sense. Look there at 2 John chapter 1. It says, the elder unto. Sometimes in the Bible, the word elder refers to older. Sometimes that word elder refers to a respected leader that's in the church. Keep your hand in 1 John, back up just a couple of books to 1 Peter. We're trying to learn some things, and the Bible has plenty to learn. We'll never run out of things to learn from the Scriptures. 1 Peter chapter 5, we're chasing down this word elder. 1 Peter 5, uh, the Apostle Peter is uh, writing this. Look there in 1 Peter 5 and verse 1, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Peter was an elder. Peter was a respected leader in the church where he was. And John, when he writes this, John is a respected leader in the churches that he is with. Pastor, we know who wrote it. The Apostle John. Pastor, we know that it was much later in John's life. He has at least 60 years of experience in ministry when he writes it. But preacher, do we know anything about who this little epistle is written to? Look at verse 1. 2 John chapter 1 and verse 1. The Bible says, The elder unto the elect lady and her children whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. Do you know that we know it was written to a woman? We know that this woman had children, but we're not told the woman's name, we're not told the city that she lives in. In fact, an awful lot is not given us about this woman. Now, do you know when you're trying to absorb uh, some piece of information, and you're not given a lot of details, many times people jump to conclusions. How many know what I just said? You know, not much is given about this woman. So some have jumped to the conclusion that because this man John wrote in the middle of verse 1, whom I love, some have jumped to the conclusion that the apostle John, older in his life, had this woman that he was having a secret relationship with, our answer to that is that's ridiculous. That kind of a book would never make it into the New Testament scriptures. There is nothing shady, there is nothing uh, uh, licentious, there is nothing 
sinful about this relationship. You say, Pastor, how do we know that? Look at the rest of that phrase there again in verse number one. Whom I love in the truth. So it's not some kind of a shady love that the Apostle John has for this unnamed woman. He loves her with a Christian love like you love other Christians with a Christian love. So that conclusion, I would rule that completely out. We never have a book in the scriptures in the New Testament like that. Some have come to the conclusion that maybe this letter was written to Mary, the mother of Christ. And they say that because if you can remember when Jesus hung on the cross, amongst the seven statements that Jesus made, John, or Jesus looked down at his mother Mary and he looked down at the apostle John and he said, woman, behold thy son. And behold thy... And, and, and so John and Mary were tagged together at Calvary and we have reason to believe that Jesus was asking John to take care of his mother from that point forward. And uh, so some think that this letter was actually written to Mary. That John, in his itinerant, we would say evangelistic ministry, that he was writing this letter to this woman that he's taking care of, and he's just a distance from her. There's a reason that we would rule that out. Because later in 2 John, John warns this woman to not be deceived by those that would question that Jesus is the Son of God. If anyone would know that Jesus was the Son of God, it would be Mary. She wouldn't likely need that kind of warning. So we're ruling out an unnamed woman who has a shady relationship. We're ruling that out. We're ruling out the possibility that was written to Mary. Anything's possible. I don't think that that's likely. There are some people that think, well... It says there in verse 1, to the elect lady. Now, let me just remind you, we believe that this King James Bible is perfect. We don't change any words. We don't change any letters. Some have said that it shouldn't say the elect lady, but it should say the lady electa. Because in Bible times, that was a woman's name. And so they would say that there was a woman whose name was Electa, and that's who John was writing to. Because we never change the scriptures, that's already not going to float very far with you and me. But the problem with that thinking is, look at the very last verse of 2 John. Verse number 13, it says, The children of thy elect sister... Greet thee. So whoever this unnamed woman is in verse number one, she has a sister. Are you going to say that that sister's name is also Electa? That's nonsense. Most homes don't have two girls in that same home by the same name. I think it's safe to rule that out. Uh, you will say, oh, well, then preacher, what do you think? Well, some would say this. Again, we're trying to rule out what I don't think it is. Some would say that this wasn't actually written to a, uh, a, uh, a woman, that this was written to a local church. So they would say one of the churches that John preached in, John wrote them a letter later. 
to give that church a warning to make sure that they're not careless and allow in those that hold the false doctrine. Say, well, pastor, maybe, just maybe, that would make sense. Well, if you're going to go with that, look at verse 1 again. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth. The question is then, who is her children? And you'd have to say, well, then it's going to be the members of that church. And, and uh, could I say this? You're just now treading water to somehow substantiate your, your notion. You say, well, preacher, if you don't think it's all those, who do you think this unnamed woman is? I would say it's an unnamed woman. That's profound. It's a woman in a church that John had preached in. And when he met this faithful woman in her church and met the children of this woman in her church, he was so encouraged by her love for God, her love for the Word, her love for the church, but he noticed something that she just might get tripped up in. And so he wrote this personal letter to help her and to help her children that they would continue to say, oh, preacher, you really think a personal letter that John would write to an individual person would actually make it in the scriptures? Pastor, I find it hard to believe that. Turn the page to 3 John. Look there at 3 John, if you would, and look at the very verse, first verse. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Gaius is a man's name. If you rule out that this couldn't possibly be a personal letter that John wrote to an individual woman, then you are also going to have a difficult time with 3 John. Because 3 John was a letter that John wrote to an individual man. So I would suggest to you that what this letter is that we are just beginning to look into 2 John, it's John is writing a letter to a woman that he has met in a church that he's preached. And so, preacher, there's sure not a lot of information at all about this woman. Could I suggest to you tonight that there's an amazing amount of information about this woman? In spite of the fact we don't know her name, in spite of the fact that we don't know her uh, children's names, we don't know the city, there are a number of things in this passage that would be a challenge to any woman. In fact, if you're taking notes tonight, my title is Admirable Qualities of the Second John Woman. Now, I know immediately what some of you men are thinking. Well, I guess I didn't even have to come. If he's preaching on women, why did I even come? Because these admirable qualities about this woman would be admirable qualities also about a man. Let's ask God to teach us tonight, again, admirable qualities of the second John woman. Let's start there in verse number one. Second John chapter one and verse number one. The Bible says the elder unto the elect lady and her children. I'm going to give you some L's tonight. I'm going to give you four. We have four points tonight. I've got 16 minutes to give them to you. Do you know the first L that we find that's admirable about this woman is she is a part of the Lord's family. 
Again, she is in the Lord's family. You say, preacher, how do you get that? Look again at verse 1. The elder unto the elect lady. Do you know that word elect in the scriptures? It has nothing to do with politics. It has nothing to do with a candidate that's running for the votes of the people. That word elect is someone that God has chosen. Very first time, keep your hand in first or second John, look over there in Isaiah chapter 42. Isaiah chapter 42. Look there in Isaiah 42, the very first time we find this word elect. Isaiah chapter 42, if you would, verse number 1. Isaiah chapter 42 and verse number 1. Uh, we find there, behold, my servant whom I have upheld, sorry, whom I am uphold, mine elect. Very first time that we find that word elect, it is a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was picked to be God's chosen Messiah to the world. We're trying to underline this word elect. That first time, it's talking about Jesus Christ. Look there in Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45, verse number 4, the second time we find this word elect in the scriptures. Isaiah 45 and verse 4, for Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, mine elect. Hold on, the first time we found out Jesus was the chosen Messiah. Second time we find this word elect, it refers to the nation of Israel. And you know that God chose the nation of Israel above all other nations that God was going to bless them. They were called the elect nation. Quickly, if you would, keep Second John, turn to the New Testament, Colossians chapter number 3. Colossians chapter number 3, look there in verse number 12. So elect sometimes is a reference to Jesus, the chosen Messiah. Sometimes the word elect refers to Jesus Christ, uh, sorry, to the nation of Israel, God's chosen nation. Here in Colossians 3 and verse 12, Paul writes this to the believers in the city of Colossae, put on therefore as the elect of God. Do you know in the New Testament we find that that word elect is used of Christians? God's people who have been chosen out of this world. Now, I have to stop there just for a moment. John Calvin taught a doctrine that many people today still embrace that is totally wrong. John Calvin taught that before the foundations of the earth, that God would pick some to be saved, and God therefore picked others that they would not be saved, and God said, this crowd will be saved, and they can't stop it. They're going to be saved. This crowd can't be saved, even if they want to. That was his doctrine of election. That is not what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that when Jesus died on the cross, he shed his blood for all people. But him shedding his blood doesn't automatically save your soul. You have to receive what Christ did. And when you received what Christ did, you became part of a royal family that God from that point chose to bless you above all other people. Folks, if you're saved tonight, you're blessed. You're elect. It's not that he elected you to get saved. He simply chose when you embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
he chose that he would bless you and those blessings would continue until the day you took home. The fourth time for elect. Let's turn to it. Matthew chapter 24 real quick. Matthew chapter number 24. It's talking about the tribulation. Now, folks, one of these days, the rapture is going to happen. You and I that are saved will be, we'll hear a trumpet sound, we'll be taken out of here, we'll be instantly in the presence of God. Following that, there are seven years on this earth that are terrible trouble. That's why it's called the seven-year tribulation. In that tribulation, there will be people that hear the gospel. There will be people that trust that gospel message. Look there in Matthew 24 and verse number 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Verse 21. For then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should, be no, flesh, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake. That's not us. We're gone. But in the tribulation period, there will be 144,000 witnesses. We read that in Revelation 7, Revelation 14 that will preach the gospel. People will receive that gospel. And they're, they're called elect. What I'm saying to you is that word elect tells you that you are part of the chosen of God. Now back to 2 John. We're trying to hurry. We just got bogged down. <laughs> First thing we know about this woman, she's a believer. She's saved. She's part of the family of God. What an admirable quality for any woman. Truth is, what an admirable quality for any man. Before I leave that one, look at the very last verse of 2 John. Look at verse 13. The children of thy elect sister. Do you know this woman was not only blessed because she was saved, but this woman was blessed because she had a sister that was saved. I know that you can make it for God if you're the only one in your family that's saved. But isn't it a blessing when God has given you others in your own flesh and blood family that are saved? And if they're saved and living for God and in church, even if they're not in the same church that you are, you're blessed. And why do you say that? Because... This unnamed woman's sister must have been in another city, in another church, because she is sending her greeting through John to this woman. First, we're looking at admirable qualities of uh, this second John woman. First of all, she is in the Lord's family. But I say to you tonight, if you're not in the Lord's family, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you can i give you a second thing, back there to 2 John. We're trying to learn about admirable qualities about this 2 John woman. Look again in verse 1. The Bible says, the elder unto the elect lady. I'm giving you L's tonight. And not only did we find out that she's in the Lord's family, but secondly, she's a lady. I think that you would agree with me that there's a difference between calling a female a woman and calling a female a lady. 
We won't have time to it, but John a number of times, I think John 44 times in the five books that he wrote, John said, used the word woman, that, that woman that Jesus met at the well, and Jesus began to tell her about living water. She was called a woman. I know that that woman in John 8, that those Pharisees found in the act of adultery, and they took her to Christ, she was called a woman. So John was familiar with the word woman. He didn't use that word in this verse. He called her a lady. Now I have to be quick, but could I say this? A lady is a notch above a woman. Is that fair? They, they used to say this, she's a cut above. If you go order meat, I never do. They'll say, well, you could get this at so much a pound... But this is a cut above. It's better. It's better taste, better value, better look, more appealing, richer. I've run out of words for meat. Do you know what John could have said? I'm writing to this elect woman. But instead he said, I'm writing to this elect lady. In England, men of dignity were called lords, so and so. In England, women of dignity were called lady so-and-so. I'm saying the second admirable quality is she is a lady, she is a cut above all the rest. I read, and I think it's true, that in March of this year, the population of this world hit 8 billion. That means if you cut them in half, 4 billion men and 4 billion women. I wonder how many of those women could be called a lady because they have some character about them, they have some virtue about them, they just are a cut above. Something about this woman that this letter of 2 John was written to, John said, you're more than just a woman, you're a lady. What a compliment. You see, Pastor, does the Bible anywhere else give us details about what makes a woman a lady? Keep your hand there in 2 John, Isaiah chapter 47. Isaiah chapter 47. I'm trying to hurry. Isaiah chapter number 47. Do you know when you get to Isaiah chapter 47, that whole chapter describes the nation of Babylon and it describes the nation of Babylon as a woman. So there is an analogy here. Look there in Isaiah chapter 47, verse number 1. The Bible says, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. So he uh, sit in the ground. There is no throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. So he's talking to a nation. He's comparing this nation to a woman, and uh, look there in verse number 7, look at the ambition of Babylon. Isaiah 47, verse 7, And thou sayest, so this nation, this is their desire, I shall be a lady forever. Uh, stick with me. This nation of Babylon, it had a high ambition. It said, I'd like to be a lady. I'd like that to be my reputation forever. Well, as a nation, it recognized that all nations would not meet that standard. 
So it's an admirable goal that it had. It knew that there would be some things it would have to do. Again, a much higher standard. Preacher, did Babylon meet that lofty goal? No, it failed. Look again at verse 7, Isaiah 47, verse 7. And thou sayest, I shall be a lady forever, so that thou didst not lay these things to thy heart, neither didst thou remember the latter end of it. So as much as it wanted to be a lady, it didn't keep at the heart what was necessary to reach that. And her failure to meet that high standard caused her to lose that lofty title of being a lady. Look again at verse number 7. So that thou didst not lay these things to thy heart, neither didst thou remember thy latter end. Look at verse 5, preacher, what happened? What did this nation do? Verse 5, sit thou silent and get thee into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For thou shalt no more be called the lady of the kingdom. Again, what happened? Verse number 1. Last part of the verse, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. You know what makes a lady? It is not a rough and a rude and a crude. I know that there are some females that just want to be rough and tough, and they come across that way. They just want to be a bully and pushy and mean and ornery, and, but that's not a lady. And he said there in verse number one that as much as that's your desire, he said, you are no more tender and delicate. Imagine no more she'd be called a lady. Preacher, what did she do as a nation? Look at verse 2. Isaiah 47, verse 2, take the millstones and grind the meal and cover thy locks. Make bare the leg, uncover the thigh. You know what she said? I no longer have to be covered. You're going to get to see my suspenders tonight. Yes, I know. Ladies, God does have a dress standard. And this nation, they said, you know what? I'm going to hike it up. I'm going to uncover the thigh. It would take an honest man to say a woman that would do that is no longer a lady. My wife and I were knocking on doors. There was a family that visited us one time. So we went to visit them. And as we were sitting in their home, and it, it, you could tell, there, there wasn't a lot of exposure to Bible Christianity. But that's how lost people are, I understand that. And so we were there to make them feel welcome. Hopefully they could come back again, talk to them about the gospel. And this older couple had a, a, a married daughter that worked at a restaurant. And while we were there, uh, she said to her mom, she said, our dishwasher just broke down. And uh, we're going to have to get a new one. It really doesn't really have part with a pastoral visit. But... And the daughter said, well, you're talking $500. And she said, I will have that within the week. And the mother said to her, how are you going to get an extra $500? You're a waitress at a restaurant. She said... If I just hike up my dress, I will get it in tips alone. This nation said, I'd like to be a lady. But it was no longer called delicate because it didn't cover himself. 
Ladies, it's very important what you wear. It's very important how you dress yourself. It's so important. I say, first of all, she was a part of the Lord's family. Secondly, she was a lady. Quickly, the third thing, if you would. Look there in 2 John chapter 1 and verse number 1. Back there, if we haven't lost it, 2 John chapter 1. Pastor, what else do we know that is admirable about this lady? 2 John chapter number 1. Verse number 1. The elder unto the elect lady and her, and her children whom I love in the truth. Could, I, could you write this down? The third admirable quality about the second John woman is she is loved. Notice it said there in verse number one, whom I love in the truth. You know, ladies, if you are loved, we, we've already ruled out that John had some kind of a shady relationship. No, 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 there's nothing whatsoever. I, could I suggest to you that she was loved by her children? Because when John wrote this letter to this woman, he said the elder unto the elect lady and her children, it's almost like they were together. It's almost like they were like, right there, and this woman loved her children, and the, her children loved her. Could I say it's admirable when that kind of a relationship is in a family? Third, she is loved, and we find that she is loved by her children. Second thing I would suggest to you, if you're taking notes, not only is she is loved by her children, but she is loved by godly leadership. John represents the leadership in a church. I think that John, again, preached in a circuit. He'd preach at one church and preach in another church. He'd say, Pastor, where would you get that idea? Look at verse 12. 2 John, verse number 12, John says, Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. I think John, in his circuit of preaching, somewhere in the past had come to her church where she was a member her children were a part of. And John said, you know what? I can hardly wait to come back to your church. I can hardly wait. I, I could write you a letter to this woman. But when I was there, I watched your smile. When I was there, I watched you sing. When I was there, I, I watched at the invitation and, and the tears that flowed down your cheeks. I, I watched your excitement. I watched your love for God. And I love you for that. Pure, untainted. Now, John represents a leader and and. This is going to be a no-brainer. A pastor loves everybody that comes to the church, even if they come only once. But I'll tell you what, in a church, if you're faithful, and if you're just in there, and if you sing like you've never sang before, if you're a Bible reader, if you have a smile on your face, you're not, this woman is not only loved by her children, this is, woman is loved by godly leadership. But notice the rest of verse 1. Rest of verse 1. 2 John 1, verse 1, The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. She wasn't just loved by her children. 
she wasn't just loved by the leadership of that church. She was loved by everybody. And folks, that is quite a challenge. <laughs> because in a church, people have different ideals and different, different notions. For her to be loved by everybody in that church, well, surely there was somebody in the church that didn't really even know her. Surely there was somebody in the church that probably was jealous of her. And yet John said, you're not just loved by me. You're loved by all of them that know the truth. What an admirable quality. I wonder if you're loved by the other people in the house of God. Not everybody is. And I'm saying to you that here this woman was just loved. Yeah, I, I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I have somebody in my office that says, Preacher, I don't have any friends. How many of you have ever heard someone say that? I'm not asking for a personal testimony. Pastor, I don't have any friends. When someone tells you that, the answer is Proverbs 18. Proverbs chapter 18, and I always get verse 22 and 24 mixed up. Verse 24. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. No one ever talks to me. Do you talk to them? No one ever shakes my hand. Do you shake theirs? No one ever stops me and says hi. Do you ever stop someone and say hi? She was loved by everybody. She was loved by everybody in that church because she had a way of putting a smile on everybody's face. And she didn't, she didn't dump her woes on people. I don't even know what a persimmon is, so I'm about to speak of something I know not. I remember when I was in Bible college in North Carolina, there were some that said, your face looks like you've been drinking persimmon juice. And so I could just imagine it like that. Folks, if that's how you greet people, people are just going to step back like you, they might catch something from you. That's not the way to be. You know, there's some folks that they think it's their God-given responsibility to dump on everybody. And so they just have something negative to say about everybody. That wasn't this woman. This woman was loved by her children. She was loved by the leadership. She was loved by everybody. And as soon as I say that, there's probably someone going to say, well, yeah, she could be that friendly because she had no troubles. Could I suggest to you she had as many troubles as we do? Pastor, how do you get that out of verse 1? Look at it. Look at verse 1. The elder unto the elect lady and her children. Hold on. Where's the husband? There is no mention of this woman's husband. Could I suggest to you that she's got children? So I would suggest to you that either she was married and her husband passed away. That's a burden. But she still was loved. If, if her husband hadn't passed away, it's possible that her husband left her. That's a burden. But she still had a countenance that drew people to her. And no matter which way that she no longer had a husband, she still had children. What a burden to have to carry by herself. But she was loved. Folks, all of us have burdens. Don't wear your burdens on your face. Take your burdens to the Lord when you get into the prayer closet and lay them all out before God. But if you want to have the admirable quality of this woman that she's loved, 
when you come out of that prayer closet, you have to be on top of the world, and God's grace is sufficient. I've given you three so far. I'll give you the last thing, and with this I'm done. We have seen tonight about this woman. We've seen the fact that she's in the Lord's family. She was saved. She is a lady. She is a cut above the rest. We have seen that she is loved. But finally, look at verse 3. We do have to actually leave verse 1. Look there in verse number 3. John is saying to this woman, Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. Do you know, could I say, let me give you the, what to write down and I'll make sense of it. The fourth admirable quality about the second John woman is she accepted leveling. She accepted leveling. Say, preacher, what does that mean? You know when something's not level, that means it's leaning too much that way or it's leaning too much that way. Just like some heads on shoulders right now. That's not level. Uh, our pictures out there, they have a single nail that holds them up. How many times do I fix it? So it's level. Do you know in the Christian life, it's a chore and adventure to stay leveled. To not lean so much one way that something else has been sacrificed. He mentioned two things in the Christian life that have to stay in level at the end of verse 3. He said, in truth and love. Folks, as independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, King James toting, soul-winning Christians, we are all for truth, all for truth. But if you don't deliver truth with love, you will hurt people. So yes, get a handle on all of the Bible truth, but not at the expense of love. On the other hand, there are some in a church that it's all love. They love everybody. In fact, they love the devil. <laughs> they love everybody. But what they have sacrificed is truth. And as much as we need to hold for truth, we dare not sacrifice love. And as much as we need to be loving, we dare not sacrifice truth. I could talk about ecumenical movements today that it's all love. We'll accept anybody as long as we can love each other. Hold on a minute. Where's the truth? Where does that come in? I also am aware of some that they're so militant on truth that they have sacrificed love and they hurt people in the process. Now you say, Pastor, where does that play? In? And this is the fascinating part to me about Second John. The fascinating part is John could see in this woman that was a part of the Lord's family, that was every bit of lady, that was loved by so many, John could see in her an imbalance. Now at that point, John had to make a choice. Do I talk to her about that imbalance? And will she get angry with me? You know it's true. Sometimes you talk to children, you talk to family members. Sometimes if you're teaching in a church or preaching in a church and you begin to address something that maybe somebody's got out of balance. Many times people will receive it, but not always. 
Paul said this in Galatians, Am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Pastor, what was her problem? This woman loved people so much. She had a gift of hospitality. And how many times did a stranger come down her street and she would open the door and say, come on in. And not inquire who it was and not inquire what they believed. John could see that she was going to get herself into trouble. And so what we find, and we'll just touch on it tonight, but John found out that this woman was so hospitable that she actually was welcoming people into her home that did not believe that Jesus is the Christ. You know what John's about to say to her? You can't do that. You can't love at the expense of truth. Let's see if I'm right. Let's see if that's exactly what he is talking about. Begin there, Second John 1, verse 7. John says, For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and antichrist. So John addresses these people. Verse 9, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ. Doctrine of Christ is that Jesus is the Messiah sent from God. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. Verse 10. If there come any unto you. Now he's getting personal with this woman. He's saying when someone comes to you, when someone comes to your home, keep reading verse 10. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine. That's the doctrine that Jesus is the Son of God. Keep reading verse 10. It says, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. You know John's saying? Ma'am, you got it figured out on loving people. And my, how they love you. Your family is in order. Your children are in the house of God. You have much to be thankful for. But in your anxious to love everyone and anyone, you are actually opening your door of your home to people that do not believe that Jesus is Christ. And he says there again at the end of verse number 10, Receive him not into your house, and neither bid him God's... In other words, as they leave the house. Don't say, trust God will bless you. Trust you have a great week. Trust it will be just a fruitful work. Listen, if they don't believe that Jesus is Christ, one, you don't want him in your house. And two, you do not want to ask God's blessing on their life. You say, well, pastor, I'm just trying to be civil. Preacher, I'm just trying to be Christian. Look at the very next verse, and I'll be done with this, verse 11. For he that biddeth him, that's this that doesn't have right doctrine, he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. That's quite a, that's quite a warning. He was taking the chance. If I tell this woman that I can see that something is out of balance, I wonder if she'll take it. 
You know, I, I would suggest to you that she did. I wonder if that's true for you. First of all, are you part of the Lord's family? You trusted Christ as your Savior. I can only ask this of the females. Are you a lady? <laughs> are you a notch above? Have you risen? Have you been satisfied to be like the other, all the rest? Or are you pushing yourself to be distinctively higher than the rest? That's true for a man. You could be a man. It doesn't take much to do that. To be a gentleman. To be a Christian gentleman, that's different. To be loved. Are you loved by people? You say, Pastor, I don't think anyone loves me. Well, maybe you're just sour. Maybe people can read on your face a total dissatisfaction with life. You can ask God to help you with that. I wonder, if God sends someone your way, to level you. Will you take it? Let's pray. Father, we've just started to look in Second John. Lord, I'm pretty excited about the things we could learn. Lord, I'm going to have to learn them before I can tell them to someone else. This was an admirable woman. She was in the Lord's family. She was a lady. She was loved. And she could accept leveling. Now, Lord, maybe, just maybe, there's one of these in every person tonight. Maybe someone tonight would have to say, I needed that one. Maybe someone's not saved. They're not a part of God's family, and they need to get saved. We would rejoice to show them how to trust Christ as their Savior. Maybe there's someone tonight that's perfectly content being like all of the rest in this world. They need a higher ambition. They don't need to blend in with the rest of this lost world. They need to rise above that. Maybe there's someone here that needs to change something so they're loved. Lord, all of us need to be open for God to level.